0: That's your testimony today, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning, though none go with me, still I will follow. The cross before me, the world behind me, still I will follow. Well, we've just dedicated little 10 month old sons in the house, but I also want to wish a happy birthday to a 90-year-old son in the house, Ron Irwin. Happy birthday to you. No turning back. (laughs) No turning back. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, team. Wonderful. rosie if she would sing that song today and get it ready for us for this sunday because this will be my third sunday in a row that i'm talking about following jesus and of course our theme this year is a fearless church or fearless creating a courage culture but we're talking about how does that work out in my life how does that work out in our church in our faith where we live at home, creating a courage culture. I want these two sons that we've just dedicated to grow up in a courage culture, where they see courageous acts, and where we do not live in fear. A.W. Tozer said, a frightened world needs a fearless church. And we want to be that church. A fearless church is not afraid to follow Jesus and Two weeks ago, I began talking about just this. We've talked about many things, many characteristics of a fearless church. But right now we're talking about a fearless church is not afraid to follow Jesus. The church in the Western world doesn't ask people to follow Jesus. We just ask people to believe in Jesus. And the problem, of course is that we have many who believe in him, but not many who behave like him. Not many who are becoming like him. We have many who believe because that's all we ask. How many would believe in Jesus? Would you just raise your hand? How many would believe in Jesus? And of course, and you're raising your hand, and that's wonderful. But the call of Jesus... It's never been, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, believe in me. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. And so to follow Christ is more than to believe Christ or to believe in Christ. It's to become like Christ. And this is what we read in Romans chapter 8 in verse 29 when Paul writes this letter to Rome. And he sends this letter with Phoebe. One of his great co-workers and she takes this letter to Rome and she walks into Rome with this letter and I'm sure uh, uh, was received with gratitude and and more than likely she probably helped expound what Paul had just written to the Romans and here's what Paul said to them God knew his people in advance and he chose them he chose them to believe in his son of course, that's not what that says. You can see it right there. That's not what it says at all. God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among a whole family of brothers and sisters who are just like the elder brother, that they would be known because they are like him, that we would become, that we, he chose us that we would become like his son And that he would be the firstborn brother among many brothers and sisters who are like him. Many brothers and sisters who not only believe in him, but are becoming like him. Paul wrote to the Philippians. And he said this. Become. Become. Not just believe. Become. Become blameless and harmless children of God without fault right in the middle, right in the midst of a crooked culture, right in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, right there smack dab in the middle. Don't take yourself out of it. You're right there in the middle of it among whom you shine as light in this world. That first century church was persecuted and beaten and imprisoned by the temple and the Empire from the Jewish temple persecuting and executing to the Roman Empire and God did not arm them God did not put them in political positions God, what God did is he armed them with a harmless and blameless and without fault lifestyle that toppled both the temple was gone and within 300 years the Roman Empire converted to Christianity and this is what they had. This was, They became like Jesus. Among whom you shine as lights in this world. Jesus said in John chapter 9 and verse 5. He said, as long as I am in the world. I am the light of the world. But then. He just. Blows us away in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. And he says, You are the light of the world. Whoa! Lord, I love you being the light of the world, but now you're saying, We, I am the light of the world. And then in two verses, he explains what this looks like in the world. He explains how this, you being the light of the world, works. This is how it works. This is what it looks like. Two verses later, he says this. Let your light so shine. Shine. So shine before men. Right there, right in the midst of the culture. Right there in the midst of men. Right there in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. Let your light shine. Let it shine. Turn it on. Amp it up. Let it shine before men that they may see your good works. That's how our light shines. They see our good works. They see the works of Jesus in us. And those works shine. They shine. And Jesus said, and when men will see those good works coming out of you, the works of mercy, the works of selflessness, the works the works of help, the works of, of kindness, of love, of generosity, when they see those works, they, they don't care what you believe. When they see those works, he said, they will glorify not you, But the one in whose name you are doing those works, they will glorify your Father in heaven. This is what it means to be the light of the world. Among whom you shine as light in Penrith or Sydney. The world is not our foe. It is our field. This dark present age... Is our stage. It's our backdrop to shine the light of God's love. love And it's showtime. It's time to shine. It's showtime. We're here to show the world the kindness and the goodness of our Heavenly Father. We are not here to bring judgment, but to bring mercy. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote these words in his letter, chapter 2, verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Our message is not condemnation, it's reconciliation. Reconciliation. This is our message. This is our mission. Here's the world. Here's the field. This is our mission. It's to the world. And this is our message. It's not condemnation. It's reconciliation. We read this in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, who were right in the middle of adulterous and idolatrous. And if you can think about it, it probably happened in Corinth publicly. And Paul writes to them. And here's what he says. God, this is 2 Corinthians 5 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is not a message of condemnation, this is a message of reconciliation. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So here's our mission, and here's our message. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We're not his deputies. We're his ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. When we plead with Penrith, come back to God. This is our mission. This is our message, and last week we talked about our method, our method when Jesus gives the new commandment in the new covenant in his blood. We talked about this last week, and here is now the method. This is how followers of Christ live, not with 613 laws, with one, and it's this one. He said in the new covenant, here's the new commandment, love one another As I have loved you. Because love one another is not a new commandment. Love one another as you would have them love you. That's not a new commandment. Do under but this is the new commandment. Love each other not as you would have people love you. Love each other as I have loved you. That is a new planet. And that's our method. So we have our mission, it's this current culture. We have our message, it's not condemnation, it's God in Christ in reconciliation. And we have our method, and that is we love others the way Jesus loves you and the way Jesus loves me. Now today, I want to go further in understanding what it means to be a follower of Christ, not only a believer in Christ. A follower of Christ, not just a believer in Christ. So today, I want us to look at the two sides of the coin of faith. Using a little metaphor here, a coin has two sides. And I want us to see the two sides of the coin of faith. One side is the only if side of faith. I believe only if faith. The other side is the even if side of faith. And that is, I believe even if. Not only Now, the difference between those two sides of the coin is the difference between being a believer and a follower. Last Sunday evening, Stewie shared the word with us. Good, strong, solid word from the book of Daniel. Really recommend you listen to that podcast. I mean, Stewie's all heart and I love him and he's one of my favorite You know, preachers, pastors, teachers, human beings. But man, did he nail that message last Sunday night. And he talked about how that Nebuchadnezzar, during this Babylonian captivity, had set up a golden image. And he put the musicians out there. And whenever the music was played, everyone bowed down to the gold they bowed down to the golden image and worshipped Nebuchadnezzar. They worshipped his image. But these three followers of God who would not compromise their walk or their life. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They're standing before King Nebuchadnezzar. And he can't believe it. He's incredulous. What do you mean you won't bow down? What do you mean you won't worship the golden image? What do you mean about by all of this? Stewie brought this out really clear last week. And so I'm just going to read their answer to King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 3, 17 and 18. Here's what they said to him. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He is. He is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but... Even if we don't follow him only if he delivers us. We don't follow him only if he rescues us. We don't follow him only if you don't heat up the furnace seven more times. Even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. We just want to make it clear to you, Your Majesty that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. We expect God to deliver us. The Lord is our expectation. The Lord is our hope. But we don't serve him only if he does. We will serve him even if he doesn't. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells us the story that we know today as the parable of the sower and how that a sower, a farmer, goes forth to sow. And of course, he's talking about the seed, the word of God. But he talks about the four different types of soil the seed falls on. There's the, the walking paths, you know, there's the rocky soil, there's the thorny soil, and then there's the good soil. So he talks about these four types of soil that the word of God the hearts, the four kinds of hearts that the Word of God will rest upon. And in chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, Jesus says this The seed, or the Word, on the rocky soil heart, it's the heart, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. I'm in. Amen. Amen. forgiveness of sin, eternal life, a future and a hope, blessing and not cursing, all good, I'm all in. I'm in, I believe, immediately with joy. But, but, since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away. And yet they put up their hand and they prayed the prayer immediately with joy. But they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted. As soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing, for that belief in God's word. Jesus shows us these are only if Only if, believers, I receive Jesus with joy and believe only if he fixes my problems and only if I'm not persecuted for what I believe. Only if faith is based on what God does. Even if faith is based on who God is. We heard that in Siobhan's testimony this morning. Only if faith is strong as long as God meets my expectations and answers my prayers and brings my breakthrough and acts like I think he's supposed to act. Even if faith is not based on my conditions, but his character. Even if I don't understand. Even if I can't explain what's going on. Even if, Lord, I don't know the answer. Why? Why, Lord, why? I don't know. But even if I don't know why. Now, we hear stories today of famous Christians Worship leaders, artists, authors, pastors who have deconstructed their faith. And it's public, it's, it's in the news, and it's people we know. They no longer believe. And they fall away like those in the parable of Jesus. It's much easier to deconstruct an only-if faith than it is to deconstruct an even-if faith. The prophet Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, even if the fig tree doesn't blossom. And no fruit is on the vines. Not only if, not only if the fig trees blossom and and the fruit, no. Even if the olive tree fails to produce and the fields yield no fruit at all. No food at all. Not not only if, Lord, only if the the olives are producing and there's some fruit uh, uh, in the field. Even if the sheep vanish from the sheep pen. Not only if they're all back. Where's everybody? Where's the sheep? This is the pen. Where's everybody? Even if the sheep vanish from the sheep pen and there are no cows in the stall, still I will rejoice in Adonai. I will take joy in the God of my salvation, in Him. Not only if, even Job did not understand what was going on in his life. One day he's serving God, he's blessed, one day everything's good. And the next day, calamity and catastrophe and tragedy all strike at once. The messengers of bad news are literally lined up outside the door letting Job know. And one day he's lost everything and everyone he loves. His whole world is collapsed in front of him. And Job doesn't know what's going on. And Job doesn't know what he's done wrong. And he didn't know why God wasn't acting like God is supposed to act. And he didn't know why everything in his life was coming apart and why boils had covered his body. Probably the best advice he received During that dark, dark time, came from his wife when she said, Just curse God and die. Job didn't know. Satan had said to God, Job only serves you because you bless him and prosper him and protect him. Satan said to God, His loyalty is only if. But we read in Job 13 and verse 15, even if he killed me. Though he slay me, the King James Version would say, even if, even if he killed me, I'd keep on hoping, I'd defend my innocence to the end, Just wait. This is going to work out for the best for my salvation. I am not here loyal to you only if. I am here loyal to you even if. King David said in the 23rd Psalm and the 4th verse, even if I go. Through the deepest darkness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Even if I go through the deepest darkness, I will not be afraid. The Lord, you are with me. Your shepherd's rod and your staff, they protect me. I do not walk with you only if you keep me from the deepest and the darkest valley. I walk with you even if I have to walk through the deepest and the darkest valley. In the New Testament, Jesus invited the rich young ruler, we've already heard him spoken about today, Jesus invited the rich young ruler to follow him. And we know that that rich young ruler came to Jesus, knelt before him, called him master, and knew that Jesus had the keys to eternal life. What must I do, good master, to have eternal life? And of course, they go back to the law of Moses and Jesus walks him through. And he's happy. Oh, I've kept all these laws that you've just mentioned. But in verse 22, Jesus says there's there's still one more thing. There's still one more thing you need to do sell all you have, give the money to the poor, and you will have riches in heaven. Then come, come, follow me. But he went away. Very sad because he was very rich. Very sad because he was very rich. Very sad because he was very rich. And then in Matthew 9, verse 9, we read this. Jesus saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose. And he followed him. Two responses to the same invitation. The first was, only if, only if it doesn't cost two, only if it doesn't cost that much. Only if it doesn't cost me everything. The other response was, even if it costs me everything. I was sharing these thoughts with Rob DeMartin. On Tuesday, he and I were talking and I was sharing with him how these thoughts were in my mind and I was trying to develop these thoughts on following Christ. And he said to me, he said, you know, it sounds like this is exactly how it works in a marriage. He said, it's it's the difference between a contract And a covenant. You see, a contract is only if. We sign our names to only if. Other words that come up when I typed in only if were given that, provided that, on condition of, so long as. It's a contract. But Rob said, but marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. It's a covenant and a covenant is even if. On the 11th of this month, Carol and I celebrated 47 years of our marriage and I'm telling you right now, you don't stay married for 47 years with only if. You stay mar- she has stayed married to me for 47 years even if I'm a mug. Even if. John chapter 6 opens with Jesus doing one of the most amazing miracles, well-known miracles. He feeds 5,000 men plus women and children who I'm sure way outnumbered the men. Jesus performs this miracle with five loaves and two fish. It's just the most astounding, amazing thing. He sets them down. He takes the loaves. He takes the little boy's lunch. And the next thing you know, it's like manna has come down from heaven. It's like the Old Testament. It's like what happened with the children of Israel. There's bread everywhere and fish. This miracle was so astounding that in verse 14 of John chapter 6... It says, then those men, you know, there were 5,000 of them. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, truly, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. They were so overwhelmed at this miracle. They were so overwhelmed at this sign. Literally, literally, the next verse says, that Jesus slipped out from them, secretly went away from them because, uh, be, because what they they were ready to take him and make him king by force. That is how astounding that miracle was. That is how overwhelming that miracle was to the men that were there. This is truly the prophet that has come into the world. We've seen the manna come down like Moses had it come down. And let's take him now and make him king. Where did he go? Where did he go? And of course, he sent the disciples out in the boat. And he came later on the water. And we know the story. But the next morning, he's in Capernaum. Not that far away. But he's in Capernaum. He's in the temple. And these men have been looking for him ever since. And this conversation takes place in the temple. So Jesus is there. They find him in the temple, but Jesus looks at them and he says to them, you seek me because you ate the loaves and were filled. And you know what they ask him? They say, what sign do you perform that we may believe in you? They're barely empty in their stomach from the last sign he just performed, that they believed in so much that they were already decreeing, surely this is the prophet that's coming to the world. And Jesus begins to talk to them, not about the bread that perishes. He began to talk to them about the bread that will never perish, that will make them where they will never be hungry again. Well, that's what they were thinking. As long as Jesus is here, multiplying the loaves and the fishes, we'll never be hungry again. But when Jesus began to speak of this other bread, they said, Lord, in verse 34, give us this bread always. Could you just do every day what you just did yesterday? But in verse 35, Jesus says to them, I am the bread. I am the living bread. You must eat my flesh. You must drink my blood. And in verse 60, they said, this is a hard saying. Not every saying of Jesus is an easy saying. This is a hard saying. How can anyone accept it? And then we have the famous passage of John 666. John 666. From that time, many of his disciples deconstructed their faith. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. We will believe you and be your disciples only if you provide that manna, you perform the miracle, and you pacify and placate the offense we've just taken at your words. And they left him. Worst altar call in the history of the world it's like having a coliseum of 5,000 believers and the altar call is who wants to leave who will leave who, are, you, who, is there any, are you still sure you want to worst altar call ever and as soon as they walk away he immediately turns to the 12 and asks them do you also want to go Peter replies, and I love, I love what Peter's how he answers him. He doesn't say where. He doesn't say where, where to where would we go. He says to whom would we go? To whom would we go? Because he says, Lord, you, you have the words that give eternal life we believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Lord, even if the crowd walks away from you, even if the most famous songwriter or preacher or Christian book writer, even if the crowd walks away from you, even if you don't do another miracle, even if your sayings sometimes are so hard and I don't understand, Lord, we do not serve you and follow you only if we serve you and we follow you, even if. A fearless church is not afraid to unflinchingly follow Jesus. Even if it's not popular. Even if I don't have all the answers. Even if the road is narrow and the path is difficult and the way is hard. I'm a follower. I'm going to ask our team to please join me. Even if, Lord, even if. Peter probably knew Jesus. I mean, Peter lived with him for a thousand days. Peter probably had two or three thousand meals with Jesus, he was with him all the time. Constantly. He saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. Actually, many times he was the good, the bad, or the ugly. But here's what Peter, who lived a thousand days with the Christ, here's what he says to Imaginations Church this morning. Here's what he says to you in your home or those watching from different places. He says this in his epistle, the first one, chapter two, verse 21. God called you to do good, even if. God called you. He's called you in this city. He's called you in your family, in your business. He's called you in this dark world. To do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. Oh, but I thought if I believed hard enough, I would be exempt from trouble. I would be exempt from persecution. I would be exempt from suffering. Well, this is not what Peter is saying to us today. Peter is saying God's called you to do good, even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in His steps. Even if, Lord. Even if. And finally, Peter says this to us in the next chapter. Chapter 3. Verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness, for doing right, for being right, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And he must have known our theme 2,000 years ago because he closes that thought with this, have no fear of them you stand to your feet with me this morning I have decided to do more than believe in Jesus I have decided with the grace of God and the help of a good woman to become like Jesus Jesus one is so simple and requires little. The other's more difficult and requires a lot. Many turned away. Many fell away. Many walked with him no more. But then there were those who said, even if. And I'm going to ask you to search your heart with me this morning as I search my own. I'm going to ask you to maybe have a little introspection. We maybe bow our head or close our eyes if it helps us to not feel like we're in a crowd of people. And if you're there at home, it might even be easier right now. To nobody knows you like you, nobody knows me like me. But the word of the Lord has spoken to us today, his word. Our heart is soil that the word lands on. Our heart is soil. Our heart is a footpath, our heart is rocky, or our heart is thorny, or our heart is good soil. I don't judge anyone's heart except my own. Just my own. But I wonder if the struggle of your life right now, maybe the struggle of your faith, maybe the reason you haven't stepped all in, a hundred percent in, it's because of a reticence, maybe a answer that you don't have, a question that you don't have an answer to, maybe a, a doubt that holds you back, maybe a maybe a sickness or a disease that we heard about uh, possibly today, or a or a wound from the past, or somebody's offended you or hurt you, and so that that's just there in the back. And really, when it all is all said and done, the reason you've You've not really moved forward. The reason you've really not passionately pursued him like you know you could or maybe you have in the past. Maybe there was a time in your life when you were a passionate pursuer of God and Christ. But that's been a while. Maybe the reason is because there is this in your heart without ever saying it out loud or you would never confess it out loud. But maybe it's there is an only if, Lord, only if. I can get an answer to that or only if or that, I can figure that out or only if you fix that situation or only if you restore that circumstance or that uh, and my and, and that could be someone here today but I would ask you to not be like the crowd but be like the 12 and I would ask you today to turn the coin over from only if to even if. Even if. Holy Spirit, we do welcome you. You are all we want saying of you this morning Holy Spirit only you can move the heart only you can reveal the heart only you can show the truth because you are the spirit of truth and yet somehow you take the foolishness of men, the foolishness of preaching or teaching and somehow you use that to the advantage of the kingdom and I ask you to do that this morning I ask you to do that in me. I ask you to do that in our church. I pray for the husband right now that needs this word so much. I pray for the wife right now that needs this word so much. I pray, Lord, for the believer, for the believer who would today make the decision to not just believe but to become a follower, to become like Christ. All in, all in, all in. I'm not just here, I'm all in. I'm all in in my heart. I'm all in in my faith. I'm all in with my life and my lifestyle. I'm all in with my my finances. I'm all in with my schedule. I'm all in with my relationships. I'm all in. I'm all in. Move, Holy Spirit. Do more in this next moment than a thousand sermons could do. I pray in Jesus' name.